Good morning, church. Hi, Grandma and Grandpa. Hi, Mr. Rich. It's been a long time since I've seen you. Church, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you today, and that's a high privilege, so why don't we bow our heads and ask the Lord to be with us as we do. Father, we just come before you today, and we're thankful for 2023. As we look back, God, we're on the last day. Many things have happened in many people's lives, and God, as we look forward to the new year, Lord, we look to you and to you alone as we head into this new year, and Lord, we ask that you be with us today as we open up your word, and as we hear from you, God, would you convict our hearts, would you open up our eyes, Lord, would you keep our ears attentive, and Lord, would you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, happy New Year's Eve, everyone. 2024 is tomorrow. You know, sometimes certain years sound better than others, and I'm not feeling it for 2024. I'm just not. I don't know what it is, but hey, it's coming anyways. And so maybe 24 is your favorite number, but man, 23 just sounded so much cooler. But those days are gone. Jordan year is gone, and we must move forward. You know, as I look around, 2024, uh, technology continues to advance. I just saw an advertisement, somebody sent it to me that, you know, there's these new shoe inserts that parents can put an Apple AirTag in so that when your kids are walking around the amusement park, you'll never ever lose them again. You can track them on your phone. Some of you don't know what AirTags are, but that's all right. You can track your kids literally by GPS. I've also seen that the new iPhone that just came out that, you know, for those of us who take lots of pictures and, you know, so you're trying to get that perfect family photo, but there's that one member in your family who just can't seem to keep their eyes open or the one that just can't seem to, to look at the right time, the iPhone can actually put their face back and open up their eyes. And so that's the new technology. I think that's going to work out pretty well. Technology's booming. 2023, I look around, business is actually booming. I'm not a big stock market guy, but I saw the Dow Jones, I think, just hit an all-time high on Thursday. Stock market's way up, and it, you know, just literally this week. And so I hope that means, you know, your investments will do well if you're into that. You know, as I look around, Detroit sports are booming. Well, except for the Pistons, Tigers, and Red Wings. But the Lions are doing fantastic. And we're not talking about last night because we're going to get way off track. So if you, if you know, you know. But as certain areas of life are booming as it looks, as it seems, there's one very important one that I don't necessarily seem, see booming or progressing, but it's sort of regressing, actually. And that's the one that we are in right here. It's the church in the United States. You know, how many times do we hear statistics that how many church buildings are closing every single week, every single year? How many students go to college and never step foot in church again? 78% actually. How many vacant seats in this room used to be filled and now they're vacant? And likewise with many churches across the area. And looking around the country in the Western world, there seems to be a mad dash away from God. And I don't think I'm the only one that's seeing that. And so just this month, for the very first time, the Roman Catholic Church led by the Pope has kind of wavered in their position, right? The, the Pope is now willing to bless same-sex relationships. Maybe you saw it on the news. 
And somehow uh, the, the Pope gave a super duper unclear statement about this, which I don't know how he could possibly do that with such an important topic. But somehow they're not going to be, same-sex relationships can't be blessed in the normal wedding way, but in a certain type of way. And honestly, as you read people that are writing about it, nobody really knows what he said. And I think that's kind of the point, because that's how things begin. But, but regardless of that, that's a radical move away from the last 2,000 years. Whatever he said, it wasn't clear, and that's what's news. It's been clear for 2,000 years from the Pope. Now, all of a sudden, we're not really sure. And so we as a Protestant church, right, we're not, we don't submit to the Pope. We don't submit to the Roman Catholic Church. But you better believe it has major implications for Protestant people. Because think about it like this. 1.3 billion people in the world are Roman Catholic, which means 1.3 billion people in the world listen to what the Pope says. This is going to be a major shift, major shift. And if the Pope, according to the world, is more or less the face of Christianity and maybe even the spokesperson of God, you better believe that the Western church is not going to improve something like this from something like this. So I want to ask today, and here's our question for the day. With all these things that are going on, and maybe with the regression I'm talking about, how in the world can the church succeed in 2024? In a world that's turning further away from God and creating its own type of God and wants really nothing to do with the word of God, how can the church possibly survive? In a culture of church decline, how can we endure another year? And that's where we're going to go today. And so I could stand up here and give you my ideas, but I think that'd be a waste of time because I can't see the future. I could stand up here and I could read you from, you know, self-proclaimed prophets' blogs. There's plenty of those to choose from, but I'm not convinced of those either. We could even, you know, put our heads together, the wisest in the room, and come up with a great plan on the future, and maybe that's not a bad idea. But what I do know is going to work is, is, is we're going to look to the good old days. What do I mean by the good old days? I'm talking about 1950 or 1970 or whatever your good old days were. No, I'm talking about 30 A.D., 30 in the year of our Lord. And we're going to look at what the church has always done. And get this, if the church has survived for 2,000 years, especially starting off within persecution, and that worked, that's where we're going to go back to, and we're going to start there. And so you can turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to begin our time this morning. And while you're turning there, uh, this story just came across my desk, and it made me laugh. Several years ago, a pastor from a big church in Indiana was invited to a certain meeting. And at this particular meeting, it was customary for each member to give their name and tell what their occupation was. He reportedly rose in turn and said these words. Again, a pastor. He says, hi, I'm Russ. I work for a global enterprise. We've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. We've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. We do marriage counseling. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs, and universities. We have crisis pregnancy centers, radio stations, and publishing houses. We do all sorts of justice and rec reconciliation things. Basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we deal in the area of behavioral and spiritual alteration. 
We offer life insurance and fire insurance. We perform heart transplants. Our founder owns all the real estate on earth, plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everything and lives everywhere. And not to mention, our product is free for the taking, though you'll never have enough money to buy it. I work for the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so what did the early church do that started this 2,000-year global enterprise that somehow started in the country of Israel 5,000 miles away 2,000 years ago? And how in the world did it, did it get to Michigan? What are we doing here? How did this happen? We're going to start in these earliest verses of the church in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their position, possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now that's a very familiar passage. Maybe so familiar, maybe you tuned out during it. <laughs> I think I can even read and sometimes tune out. How many are good at that? You read the whole passage and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and so for those of us who struggle with comprehension, such as myself, what did they do? It says they devoted themselves, they read the scriptures together. They, were, they did this thing called fellowship, which is just being friends. They did this thing called eating together and praying together. They devoted themselves to living together. That's what it was. If you get nothing else from that, they lived their lives together. Not as individuals, but together living. So much so that people started to sell their possessions for those who had need. That, that blows my mind. You know, I'm willing to give a Christmas gift and a gift card and stuff like that. But man, like, I got to sell my house and give to, to somebody here who needs stuff? Wow. This is what we see in the early church. And something I want to point out here in this passage is that, you know, usually here at Bethesda, we read from the NIV. NIV is great. But I believe the ESV here actually translates this one correctly. And I think NIV gets it wrong in a certain verse. And in verse, let's see, verse 43. I think NIV gets it wrong. The ESV, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, New International Version, English Standard Versions, just different translations from, you know, the Greek text. That's what we're talking about. The ESV says that awe came upon every soul and many signs were being done. Or if you're, if you're looking in the NIV, it says that the awe came from the signs. Again, I, I think the ESV, that there was awe upon the souls and there happened to be signs and wonders. And as, as you look at basically any other translation besides the NIV, it talks about the, the, the awe is coming from something else, not the signs. Why am I saying that? Luke is the author of this book, Acts. He's saying that the awe came from the unity of the church and the fellowship and the changed community of people. What was happening in the church was amazing, and that brought awe. Oh, yeah, and there were signs, <laughs> okay? So I think the reason this is important, the reason I'm bringing it up is miracles can amaze us, and they shock us, and they surprise us, and they make us say, wow. But eventually the wonder wears off, 
and we say, man, does God do miracles anymore? We kind of forget what he's done in the past. However, a continual, sacrificial, loving community of having things in common for no other reason than some resurrected man causes astonishment and bewilderment that, that lasts. All right? And so what was the result of the Christian church being so connected and loving each other so well? We see that there was awe upon every soul. What does that mean? It means that unbelievers started to notice. Unbelievers started to notice how connected, how united the church actually was. And you better believe that transformation doesn't go unnoticed. In fact, when it happens, stories of transformation, those are the stories that we have up here as fast as we can. Right? I remember hearing Jake pretty recently. I remember hearing Shannon pretty recently. Those stories stick in my head about how God, how they were one way, they met God, and now they're a completely different way. Right? Those stories pump me up. I think it does it to all of us. Right? I love hearing the way that God has changed lives. Some people grow up in church and they just really never understood the gospel until they did and things change. And some people grow up way outside the church, probably purposely by their parents, and then they have some encounter with God and, and here they are. Right? These stories are amazing. And that's what's happening in this early church. People are being drawn in by the transformation of stories. It works, in, it works in a spiritual sense. It works in science. Check this out. Think about the, the fridge on your, or the magnet on your fridge, not the fridge on your magnet. I guess that's true. If you ask the physicist, I guess it works both ways. When a metal object is magnetized, it both undergoes change and it stays the same. All right, there's a change, but also completely the same. A magnetized object maintains the same size, the same shape, the same weight, the same color. It looks the same, but it takes on new properties and it interacts differently with the world around it. When the Spirit descended on the early church at Pentecost, these Christians would have looked the same as before. Peter still looked like Peter. John still looked like John, but they possessed a new magnetism that drew people to them from different cultures and languages. The church led by the Spirit should be a magnetic place. And that's what happens with stories of transformation. And why? Because we live in a broken world. We live in a hurting world. And people are always looking for someone who can heal their most broken part. That's what people are looking for. That's why people find themselves in all types of really good things, really bad things. People are looking for some type of healing for the most broken parts of them. And there's a reason. And that to me is the reason Jesus didn't hire us as employees but he rather, he calls us witnesses, right? To tell us, to tell of what we've seen and experienced, all right? So what did the early church do? We just read it. They, they read scripture together. They hung out. They ate in each other's homes. They prayed together, right? Maybe they watched games together. Maybe they hung out. Maybe they, they had their New Year's Eve celebrations together. And I think that's an encouraging thing. Hang out with our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially outside of this room. And I can tell you guys are saying, wow, that sounds like some pretty unremarkable stuff, right? Read scripture, prayed. Have you heard this a hundred times? They ate together in homes. They worshiped God together. It's pretty unremarkable stuff. And if that's what you're saying, I want to say, yes, we're onto something. If you think that's unremarkable, boom, we're exactly where we need to be because that's exactly what it was. It was unremarkable. The, the miracles that were happening were a byproduct of the spirit-filled believers 
But, my, but by no means, the miracles were not the reason that the church grew and spread. That was because of the unity of the church. All right? And so that's what the early church did. It launched this 2,000-year global enterprise with things all over the world. But most important to us, here we are in 2024. This began 2,000 years ago. And it worked for them, and it worked all the way till now. But I want to ask, how can the church succeed? How can we succeed in 2024? And I'm going to show you what I think the key to our success is. And we're going to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And this is what I think the key to our success is. Romans 12, 9 through 21. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. It's pretty unremarkable. This is one of those passages that you have to tune into. Because you're going to read this and you're going to zone out. <laughs> you're going to zone out and you're going to be like, yeah, I've heard this all before. Exactly. All right. And I challenge you, try to pay attention through these verses because there's nothing remarkable about this. This is the stuff, this is the bread and butter of Christianity. Ready? Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 says this Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. All right, this is the check. Are you guys still with me? All right, I know it's unremarkable. Well, here we go. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful, what it, what, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. <laughs> it, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's the DNA of a Christian. Pretty unremarkable stuff, isn't it? <laughs> like, are you sure the way that the church in 2024 shouldn't exceed, succeed and grow is not like maybe we should start, you know, putting out billboards about revival services. Maybe we should send out Facebook ads about, you know, Francis Chan is coming to town and we'll pack this place, right? Maybe we should have tons and tons of concerts and we should teach people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, have all night prayer meetings. I think those are good things, but that's not what grows the church. You know what grows the church is when Christians look and act like Christ. The Indian rights civil activist <laughs> the Indian civil rights activist is what I meant to say. An independence activist who did much for the people of India. You've heard his name, Mahatma Gandhi. There's a quote that probably was him, might not be him, still is inspiring whether it was him or not. It says this, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ouch is right. So what grows the church? The church grows and succeeds not with miracles, not with the biggest concerts, not with the biggest stage or the best speakers. It grows and succeeds when Christians look and act like Jesus. It's as simple as that. 
right? It's not through the best preacher. It's not through bigger stuff. It's through each of us doing exactly what Jesus is called to do, looking and acting like Jesus. Unremarkable as it is, that's how it goes. And church, I got to make a confession. <laughs> I sinned while I was studying the scripture against this exact scripture. All right? I sinned yesterday while I was studying the scripture. Literally, as I'm preparing the sermon, as I'm reading Romans chapter 12, something popped in my mind that just last week we had an event called the Glow Olympics here at the church. All right, all right, students, raise your hand if you were at our Glow Olympics. Anyone? Reagan was there. Oh, yeah. Dude, I can't even see. Oh, Evan, way back there. Okay, I can't even see who's back there. All right, we had an event called Glow Olympics here at the church. And it was just a bunch of glow-in-the-dark games, and we invited a speaker in to talk about living in the light. It was a pretty cool event. We had this event. There's this Little Caesars. Uh, so I ordered Little Caesars for our event, all right? And so I decide, you know what? There could be a lot of people. I'm going to order about eight pizzas. I'm going to order some crazy bread because the kids go crazy for crazy bread. All right, and I'm gonna order some Italian cheese bread because they like the bread more than the, more than the pizza, it seems like. And so as I got our big order, as we had our event, the thing that was missing was the crazy bread, all right? And we spent $19.16 on crazy bread. And Reagan, did you have any crazy bread? Me neither, because we didn't get it, all right? And so I decided, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this right. And so I emailed Little Caesars the day after, and I said, I did not get my crazy bread. I'm just asking for my $19.16 back. And so a few days go by, and I hear nothing from Little Caesars, and there's no crazy bread being promised, all right? And so I call them up, and I say, um, I, you know, I never received an email. And the person on the phone says, sir, I'm going to be honest with you. Because you waited so long, we will not honor your request. Thanks, and have a good day. Bye. And they hang up on me. To my shame, after the call, I said something like, fine, I'm not tipping you guys next time anyway. Forget you, little Caesars. And then I look back at the scripture and it says, do not repay anyone for evil. <laughs> Man, Lord, forgive me, right? I'm not tipping the delivery driver because the last guy didn't give me the crazy bread? That's, called, that's, that's, that's repaying evil for evil. Maybe not on the greatest scale, but, but that's what's in me, right? I'm not, fine, fine, you know, I'm going to make it right. I'm not doing this. Right? They're, not getting, they're not getting a tip next time. So I repented. They're going to give a tip. They're going to get a tip, and we're going to let the $19.16 go. Church, the, the church grows and succeeds when Christians look and act like Christ. The church grows and succeeds when we surrender our right to be right, and we love people instead. Because I'm telling you, I'm right. Reagan didn't have any. Evan didn't have any. I didn't have any. We didn't have any crazy bread. But for the good of the church, for Jesus Christ, we're going to let it go. And we're going to surrender our right to be right. All right, I know that's a funny thing. That's like on a small scale, but that's, that's, that's true. We do not repay evil for evil. We do what the church has done since the church first did it. We love neighbors selflessly. We love our enemies. And so as we close, as we begin a new year tonight, for those of you who will actually stay up till midnight and watch the ball drop and watch random people kiss other random people on TV in New York, which is a weird transition that we have. Like we got to revamp this thing. But anyways, for those who are actually going to watch, 2024 starts in about, I don't know, 13 hours and one minute. And so for worried parents, hey, 2024 is here. You can put air tags in your kids' shoes. You'll never lose them again. 
You know, for Lions fans, it's the year of the Lions, man, 2024. John Strever has been right since 1957 that this is the year. He was talking about this year, I think. We're playoff bound, baby. For investors, hey, the Dow Jones is going crazy. Things are looking up. Cheers to you. But for all of us Christians in 2024, how can we possibly succeed in this, this world that's turning away from God? How can we endure another year? And my answer to that is the same way that it succeeded for the last 2,000 years. Loving God and loving our neighbor. Do what the church does since the church first did it. That's our takeaway. Do what the church does since the, first, since the church first did it. It's hard to say, but it's easy to understand. The second century Christian apologist, or a man who defended the faith, his name was Christian, uh, oh my gosh, Justin Martyr. And he taught, he, he actually argued, he, he writes a letter to the emperor, and he argues uh, that amidst the persecution, Christians are getting burned at the stake. Christians are being uh, persecuted in all types of insane ways that we can't even imagine. He writes a letter to the emperor and says, like, what are you doing? You know that Christians are the very best citizens that there are? Our leader, Jesus, taught us to pay our taxes, and so we do. Our leader, Jesus, taught us to pray for the emperor, and so we pray for you, man. And in fact, Christians are the emperor's greatest allies. We're moral, we're upright, and we're law-abiding citizens. The more Christians that you have, O emperor, the better that the Roman Empire is going to be. And I think he's right. Just think about it like this. And that was true in the second century, and that should be true now. I hope that's true about you now. I hope that because you're a Christian, you are a better citizen of the United States uh, than you would be when you weren't. I hope that's true. Because think about it. If we follow Jesus, we're going to be the best husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, neighbors, employees, students that there are. Think about it. Like, like, like you can be a husband without knowing Christ, but the second that you know Christ and he's the Lord, you got to love your wife more than yourself. Wow, that's a pretty good prescription for a good husband. Same with wives. Wives, you can, you, can be, you can be married, you can be a wife without knowing Jesus, but the second that you submit to Jesus, wow, you need to respect and you love your husband even when you disagree. <laughs> How about employees, right? You can, you can be a non-Christian and you can work hard, but the second that you submit to Christ, you know, it says that you need to work as if you're working for the Lord and not man. So even when you have a jerk of a boss that you don't like, guess what? You better work hard because Jesus is the boss of your, your uh, workplace, right? What boss won't love a Christian employee who submits to Jesus? The same thing with a neighbor. Neighbors who are concerned with the good of your neighbors. <laughs> neighbors who, because they love Jesus and, and your neighbors, you know, you rake, you rake leaves. You clear the snow, maybe even further than the property line goes. Come on now, right? Don't leave it five feet short and say, it's not my job. Come on, Christians. It's been easy so far. We can do it into January, right? Neighbors who invite over for dinner. Who wouldn't want that? Right? We should make the very best moms and dads. People who love and discipline their kids in godly ways. That should make for the very best kids that there are. And lastly, you know, citizens who care for the city, who honor its leaders, who pray for the leaders. Man, you know that it says honor the emperor and pray for those in leadership, Christians? We better watch ourselves in 2024. We got an election year. And an old man, do we get charged up? But we better believe that, that, that the next president, that's not, that's not like, it's not like God's savior to the world. We already got that guy. And his name was Jesus. 
All right? And, and so we better be careful. We better be citizens who honor the emperor, who pray for our leaders, and we better, make, we better be better citizens because of Jesus. All right? If we follow these lists of Christ-like attributes, Christians are the very best people to have around. And when we get a we get a little off. Christians can be known to be hypocritical, judgmental, whatever else. And so we better make sure that we are submitting to Christ. In a country that's increasingly opposed to Christ, our response is not to raise our voice louder against the world, but rather to double down on our commitment to Christ. We better make sure that we're fighting the right enemy. Christians, I think we're guilty. We make people who are not the enemy our enemies. We make the, the LGBTQIA plus world an enemy. We make Democrats or Republicans the enemy. We make criminals and drug dealers. They're the problem. Or, you know, definitely the guy who's going to get elected, the man or woman who's going to get elected that's on the other side of the party line, like they're the enemy. No, <laughs> they're not the enemy, right? All of these people that we fight against so often, these are also sinners who need grace just like you and I did and do. And, and, and to quote, you know, a great, a great wise person in my life, people in darkness do dark things. Don't be surprised when people in darkness do dark things. They're not the enemy. They need the light of Jesus, right? And so we don't need necessarily louder voices. Sometimes I think we're too loud. We need to start backing up what our voices are actually saying. We need stronger commitments to Christ. I mentioned our Glow Olympics, and, and, and we played this game called Around the World Ping Pong. Who's familiar with Around the World Ping Pong? Right, it's ping pong for more than two or four players. You can have like, you know, 20 or 40 or however many paddles that you have. Right, it's ping pong, but the second that you hit the ball... You keep moving and it keeps going. You hit one ball at a time and then you got to keep moving around the table. And we did this at the, uh, the Glow Olympics. We did this at our Christmas party. And whoever m messes up gets knocked out. You're gone. We'll see you next round, buddy. Right? That's what happens. And so as people go down and everyone gets eliminated, there's only two people that are in the finals. And if you're thinking like, how in the world do two people run around the table and play ping pong? Well, there's a different round for those two because you can't do it. You hit the ball and you spin around, all right? You hit the ball and you have to spin around. I'm going to give you a tip. If you spin both ways, it resets your equilibrium. I think that's how it works. But if I make it to the finals, which usually doesn't happen, <laughs> my strategy has always been this. Because I'm really, I get dizzy way too fast. I say, I'm not spinning. You know what I'm going to do? That person is going to hit the ball and I'm going to hit that ball Hard as I can, right back. And if I hit the table, cool, I get the point. If I miss it, whatever. It is what it is. If I spin, I'm going to be gone anyways. I'm probably going to fall over. And so my strategy, every time I just hit the ball as hard as I can. How well do you think that works out for me? Yeah, exactly. As you can probably guess, I hardly ever win that last round. And the reason is I'm too impatient to endure the fight. <laughs> I'm not going to stand there and get dizzy. No way. I'll take one point. And church, I think we live our faith in the same way that I play ping pong. Sometimes we look for the single knockout punch instead of being willing to endure the fight. We, we, look, at that, we, we, we look for that single Facebook post that's going to show the world, man. We look out for that knockout punch. We think that, you know, we just got to have that one message. We think we got to have that one prayer meeting. We think we got to have that one thing. That'll be the knockout punch and the whole world's going to know. My whole family's going to finally know Jesus. We look for that knockout punch, and the reality is that you and I aren't the knockout punch. 
You and I play on the team of the one who's the knockout puncher. (laughs) But until Jesus decides it's over, we're done, you and I are in the trenches. Back and forth, right? Until he seals the deal. Battling in the trenches day by day, being faithful until Jesus, the knockout puncher, says that it's time. And so church, until Jesus returns here in 2024, is it going to be another six months? Is it going to be another 6,000 years? Probably somewhere in between. Maybe. Maybe 60,000. I don't know. What must we do? How can we succeed in 2024? Endure the fight. Do what the church has done since the church first did it. And if you're unimpressed with my strategy, that's how I know we're right on. (laughs) All right? What are we going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to fellowship. We're going we're gonna to gather on the Lord's Day. We're going to sing. We're going to hear the word preached. We're going to read the scriptures. We're going to pray. We're going to do baptism. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. And we're going to give to the Lord's work. And then we're going to go out and we're going to live like Christians in our communities. Who's impressed with that strategy? <laughs> I'm not impressed with that. You say, no, that's quite an unremarkable strategy for 2024. I'm saying, yes, sir, and we're right on track. That's what the scriptures say. Obedient. A remarkable plan. Here's the remarkable part. The remarkable part is that Jesus, the son of God, came and gave his life in our place, and all we have to do is believe in him and we receive eternal life. That's the remarkable part. He did the remarkable. Now we are in the unremarkable, faithful part. We stand here, we live day after day. We live faithful, we live devoted lives. Maybe nothing's amazing. Maybe we don't see, you know, amazing miracles in our lives, but you know what we do? We remain faithful. And that's what draws people to Jesus. Not this one miracle, as cool as those things are, and if they happen, we're gonna celebrate it and give God glory. But more, way better than that, are people who go to their workplaces, who start talking about the way that Jesus has changed their life, and year after year after year, they start sharing with you, hey man, it's Jesus. Maybe you're in a dark place, but you know it can fix you? Jesus. In the first six months, they don't want to hear it, but then after a year, that person cries and breaks down to you and says, you know what? I need what you have because my life is falling apart. That's what Christianity looks like. It's not the big gatherings, it's the daily one-on-one relationships that we have and telling our story, being witnesses of Jesus Christ all along the way. Amen. (laughs) And so the same man, Justin Martyr, in the second century, he wrote this in 155 AD. What did the church do? What did the first early church do? He says this. On a day called Sunday, there's a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or district. The writings of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. How much more time do I have back there? (laughs) 13 hours? Okay. Yeah, parties don't start till like 8, right? As long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, which I'm about to, the president in a discourse... He admonishes and urges the imitation of these things. Just talk about, you know, let's follow the scriptures, just like we did with Acts and Romans. Next, we all rise together and send up prayers. And church, I think we're doing this like 99% right. I think we do. I think we gather together. We, we pray as a, as a corporate body. We read the scriptures. We listen to the scriptures. Somebody expounds on it. But today, I think what, we, what, we're, what we're missing is 
Next, we all rise together and we send up prayers. Because how many know that as good as Pastor Pat is, as good as Pastor Barry is, Pastor Julie is, and I'm on the team too, but I'm not gonna talk about myself, right? As good as a preacher can be, it doesn't matter. If the people go out and all they're doing is waiting for the pastor to feed them week after week after week, but you go out and you don't live differently, there's no point to what we're doing. We might as well just go do it ourselves. But if we can gather as the hundreds of people that are in this room and if each person says, you know what? I might only be 13 years old, but I'm gonna live as a Christian this week in my neighborhood. Right? Or, or I might be 102 years old, but I'm gonna live as a Christian where I'm at. That's the way that the church grows. That's the way. It's not because Peter was such a great preacher. It was because the church had things so much in common, people were attracted to it. Right? It's not because Paul was doing so many miracles. The miracles brought them to Jesus and then people submitted their lives and then somehow in this unremarkable way, this grassroots movement spread to America five, uh, 2,000 years later, 5,000 miles away, and here we are. Right? That's how the church progresses. And so we're gonna rise up and pray. And I don't wanna just pray. I'm not gonna be the only one that prays. We need to pray as the church. And so what I wanna do is I wanna invite you all to stand. We're gonna rise up and we're gonna pray. And I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're sitting there with your family or your friends or just somebody that you just invited to church, pray together for, for our year in 2024. Hey, if you don't know what to pray for, let me remind you. <laughs> pray for the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. Pray for the Pope. He's making a lot of decisions that influence, that influence um, Christianity as a whole. Pray for Pastor Pat. He's got to lead our church as a whole. Uh, pray for your neighborhoods. Pray for your families. Pray that as you go into 2024, you can start to live as a Christian where you're at. Pray for opportunities in your workplace. I can point you to a guy who, who, who can do that, right? If, you, if you're like, how do I start evangelizing my workplace? I got the recommendation for you. Come talk to me separately, all right? But we're going to rise up and we're going to pray. And we're just literally going to take a few minutes. Pray as a family. Pray as friend groups. And we're going to pray in 2024. And I'm not going to pray over you because if I pray over you, you won't pray. All right, I'm going to close it out. But we're going to pray. Take a few minutes. And we're going to rise up and pray as we enter 2024. Lord, we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll be excited. Lord, we're going to praise you for it. We're going to give you glory because you can and you still do move in those ways. Help us to be attentive to the ways that it happens. But Lord, for the, for the, for the, most of the time, Lord, the in-between, Lord, for the unremarkable days, for the Mondays and the Tuesdays and the Wednesdays, Lord, for the Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, God, Lord, for the non-pastors, for the non-elders, for the non-deacons, Lord, for the, the ones in here who aren't even church members, Lord, for the ones who are newer to the faith, Lord, I pray that you inspire us together as a church body, Lord, that we might live out our faith, Lord, in community. I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't be shy to pray. We wouldn't be shy to read the scriptures. We wouldn't be shy to talk to our neighbors about the way that Jesus has changed our lives. And Lord, I pray for those of us who don't understand how Jesus has changed our life. Lord, make it clear. Give us a story to tell. Lord, I pray in 2024, Lord, I'm gonna pray a bold prayer. Lord, as we leave this place, give us opportunities to share our faith. Give us opportunities, Lord. Give us our eye, give us eyes to see what you've placed right in front of us. Lord God, with waiters and waitresses and bus boys, Lord, with other students, oh Lord, uh, uh, co-employees, co-workers, Lord, even bosses. <laughs> Lord, give us boldness and help us all, Lord, together as the church. Lord, as this grassroots movement began so long ago, help us to continue. And Lord, we pray for major success for the church in 2024. And Lord, I pray that this success will look like faithful Christians day in and day out. 
Oh, Lord, would you help us to that end? And it's in Jesus' name we pray over the church, and we pray over all these things. And it's in his name we pray.